Welcome to My Friends in the North with PR and management consultant Sarah Waddington as she interviews some of the leading lights in the north of England about their work, the economy, communications and what makes them tick. Hello and welcome to My Friends in the North, a 20-minute podcast series from me, astute dot work owner Sarah Waddington, in which I interview some of the region's leading business and community figures. And today I'm recording the last of five very special editions based around one theme. That's the Northeast COVID-19 Economic Response Group and the five-point plan it has in place support the economy, build business resilience and get the region ready for recovery. Well, making up the group are the North East LEP, the CBI, North of Tyne Combined Authority and North East Combined Authority, working with the support of industry. My guest today is Rob Hamilton, who's the Interim Head of Investment for the North of Tyne Combined Authority. Rob, thanks for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. Well, I really appreciate it. Throughout the course of this week, I've spoken to the various leads of the Northeast COVID-19 Economic Response Group, and each of those people have explained much of the immediate work being carried out. Your role is to look to the future, so can you please explain a bit more about that? Yeah, of course. Thank you for the opportunity. So in addition to the immediate health impacts of COVID-19, it's clear that the economic impacts are driving changes that are unprecedented in recent times um, and also profound At the moment, quite rightly, the priority for national government, but also for local agencies, is to get the support to businesses, to charities and people who've been impacted. And of course, the importance of the emergency response in terms of health, social care um, and other areas. Um, But when we look to the future, we need to recognise that just in the space of a few short weeks, uh, we've seen long entrenched economic orthodoxy swept away. It was unthinkable to imagine that government would step in to pay wages or directly support businesses. Um, And we need to recognise the importance of parts of the economy that many years have been overlooked. Um, Some of the foundational parts of the economy, the bits around supplying food and important services, which aren't maybe as glamorous as some of the high tech, high export sectors of the economy, but which are really proving um, in today's environment to be absolutely essential to keep keep things moving. But when we looked forward um, to the future, you know, it's important to recognise that, you know, the world is likely to have changed and changed permanently. We should expect to see accelerated structural change to areas. It seems unlikely that retail will ever be exactly the same again. We've we've become even more used to, to shopping online. We should expect to see changing travel patterns. Maybe after this crisis, more people will be working from home. Perhaps business travel will be reduced going forward. I think all of us have an increased expectations of communications and IT, what we want to see out of being able to utilise technology. And, and fundamentally and very importantly for a part of the country like the Northeast, the whole uh, issues around globalisation and just-in-time supply chains may need to be considered. Again, we, we are hearing sounds from some countries around protectionism, um, it'll be really interesting to see you know, whether we do go back to a world where you know, there's high levels of importing and exporting across countries. And those changes will lead to um, changes in the way that our industries operate, but also will have an impact on the ways in which sort of careers and skills and the public sector will need to think about issues going forward. Profound change coming than it sounds like. I just wanted to ask, you're undertaking rapid strategic scenario planning in light of all those things that you've just mentioned. What does it mean and what are you looking to achieve with that work? 
So it's a danger that rapid strategic scenario planning sounds a bit more exciting than it actually <laughs> actually is. But the idea of scenario planning is not necessarily to be able to predict the future, um, but instead to consider a range of alternative scenarios. Um, and those scenarios don't have to be the most likely, but they do have to be plausible. And what's really important is that you you look at that range of, of plausible scenarios and you plan for different different eventualities. So, for example, around Brexit, government scenario planning, considering things like fuel or shortages. I think in the current situation, in terms of that scenario planning, we need to think about how quickly is the current phase of lockdown going to continue? Is it going to um, be lifted gradually or more rapidly? And what's going to be the economic response post-COVID? Are we going to return back to a, a sort of new normal um, fairly quickly, or is it going to take a long period of time? Are there going to be you know, a number of businesses that will need support to get back up and running again? You know, similarly, in terms of, of people who've unfortunately been made redundant around the labour market, they might need new skills and opportunities to get, to get back on their feet. And the, the aim of the scenario work is very much to think about those issues and to develop practical plans that we can implement today to try and um, improve the outlook for the future. Well, that's, that brings us nicely onto the next question, because you talked about time frame and impact. It's really difficult to get a handle on how long-lasting the impact of coronavirus pandemic will be, but we already know the business community is finding it incredibly tough. Is it too soon to talk about a plan for recovery? Well, it is tough. It is tough for businesses and it is tough for residents. And it's great that government has listened to businesses and the concerns that you know, some of the immediate measures that were announced at the beginning of the COVID crisis it weren't sufficient and weren't generous enough. Um, and recently, um, government have extended their grants to the self-employed and to the VCS sector, the voluntary community sector. In terms of, is it too soon to have a plan for the recovery? It perhaps is too soon to have a firm plan, um, but I don't think it's too soon to start to think about you know, what a good plan um, should involve and what some of the issues are that need to be considered. And that's very much the stage that we're in at the moment. We're trying to put together that plan, trying to speak to as many people and organisations and stakeholders as possible. And then once the attention, government's attention has turned from the immediate crisis into thinking about the recovery, we can be in a really strong position to put forward the best possible opportunities for the region. Sounds good. You're gathering data and engaging with stakeholders to explore potential outcomes for regional recovery, growth and employment. Difficult question, but what does worst case look like and what's the best case scenario? And in your best opinion right now, where are we likely to land? Is that in the middle? I think it is a difficult question to answer. Um, In terms of the best case scenario, that would be for a very rapid recovery. I think what we're seeing in China and the difficulties there having coming back on stream makes it seem relatively unlikely that we will be in that very rapid recovery phase in, in two or three months. Um, at the other extreme, of course, there are scenarios where, you know, we might have to live with lockdown for, you know, a protracted period of time. And clearly, the longer that that lockdown continues, the more disruptive it will be to individuals, to businesses, to to lives um, and communities. I think I think many of us would expect that, you know, a, a perhaps more um, some middle case scenarios more likely where we are going to see perhaps a phased um, easing of restrictions. We might see some sectors come back more quickly than others. Uh, we might see some um, sort of changes in terms of, of skills requirements, in terms of, of people's behaviour, in terms of people's um, travel patterns. Um, and that for me is the one that we should be expecting most and certainly you know, thinking about very seriously. Okay. And what do you think overall the impact on the people of the northeast will be? Um, so there's no getting away from the fact that we are 
in a crisis. In addition to the health concerns, you know, there's clearly considerable stress and uncertainty about people's economic future. You know, we know that unfortunately, you know, a large number of people have been made uh, redundant, have lost their jobs. Mm. Um, and across the country, Job Centre Plus and DWP are managing you know, 10 times more people registering for unemployment benefits than they would normally expect. Um, we're also seeing people having to, to cope on reduced salary as well. I think, I think for, for many of us, we will also have to um, work going forward with um, some social distancing rules. So that will change the way that we have to interact both socially, but also um, at work. Um, and we should also think that, you know, our experience and history tells us that some segments within society are typically more affected by recessions and structural changes than others. Um, so particularly the young minority ethnic groups, um, they've been vulnerable in the past. And it's very important that we start to think about those issues now. We take measures to make sure that we're protecting those groups in society when the recovery does happen. And I think listeners will be really reassured to know that that is being considered right now. And uh, it's, it's great to hear that that forms a, a really key part of the response. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's we've got to learn the lessons from history and we've got to make sure that, you know, it genuinely is an inclusive economic recovery. Thanks, Rob. How are you working with outside of the Northeast COVID-19 Economic Response Group to get this plan for rapid and sustainable recovery in place? So, Sarah, you, you mentioned in the introduction about how we're working um, across the public, the private, um, the education sector um, at the moment in terms of the immediate um, economic response group. Um, but we're also reaching out much more widely as well to colleges, to wider ranges of businesses and business representative organisations, the voluntary community sector, sector groups, the unions. And within the Northeast, we've got that that legacy of working across organisations, across institutions. It's the approach that we took successfully around Brexit preparations and you know, I'm absolutely confident that we'll have the same degree of cooperation and, and collaboration across a wide range of society. It's good to hear that. And it's obviously quite a complex area. Um, you all have your own roles. So can you elaborate a bit further by explaining how each of the organisations within the response group will maintain their own roles going forward? I'm assuming it's still there's an element of business as usual within this. Yeah, of, of course it is um, a case of business as usual for you know many of the organisations and you know many of them are, are delivering um, sort of critical services and 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 sort of trying to to, to maintain you know their, their roles going forward as as best as possible. I think it's less about um, how do different organisations maintain their own role. I think it's more about how we're working together as one team across these different sectors. Um, we are used to collaborating, um, and I don't think it is about um, individual organisations sort of trying to position themselves at the forefront. I think it genuinely is about us all you know, working collaboratively together to make the best use of our own assets and opportunities, um, and I'm sure we'll continue to do that in the recovery phase too. Okay, um, that's great to know. Bob, how are you engaging with government and other key stakeholders on this aspect of your work? Because I know that that whole direct line into government is really key right now. It is absolutely key at the moment. And communications and external engagement is an integral part of, of the regional COVID response plan. So we've also, within the region, taken steps to make sure that we're collecting and coordinating information you know, locally um, from across a range of different organisations and that we can make the best use of, of people's expertise and, and time. 
and clearly in terms of focusing that information and reporting um, to government. At the moment, government's focus is at present on management of the crisis, understanding the immediate impacts on businesses, on sectors, on residents and communities. But we are starting to also engage in terms of the forward-looking work and thinking about you know, what issues, what would a good recovery look like? How can we make sure that we do transition successfully from a COVID um, so crisis period into a recovery and, and then a growth period? And, and those discussions are starting. We're also starting those discussions with counterparts you know, across the country. We're making sure that we're learning from best practice. We're you know, drawing on the experience of the past and what's happened in previous recessions to make sure that we can have the best possible recovery plan going forward. That's brilliant, Rob. Thank you very much. Um, can I ask, what do you want people to take away from the group's work? Um, I guess there's a lot to be reassured about around the amount of work and support measures that are being put in place. Yeah, I, th- I think there is a lot to be reassured about. And, you know, but we are also conscious that, you know, for businesses and individuals, they're having to focus on managing the immediate situation. But certainly, you know, if as a region we are to successfully recover and from this crisis, it is important that we we start to take steps today to think about how we can recover, how we can support businesses to adapt to the post-COVID world, how we can make sure we have an inclusive economic recovery, how can we transition perhaps to a lower carbon society, you know, what would be the future skill needs, what are our future infrastructure priorities, how can we make sure that we continue to invest in broadband and IT sort of technologies. By thinking about some of those issues now, it can put the, the region in a strong position to make the case for investment. Um, but it can also make sure that we can help mitigate against some of the impacts of the crisis. So if the crisis is long and protracted, um, then it's really important to think about, well, how can we best support those sectors and businesses to keep going? How can we make sure that they can perhaps more effectively work from home? How can we make sure that their infrastructure, their technology needs are met today? Well, you know, it's really good to know how much is going on. And I think people can stay positive and think about that in terms of actually longer term, when the recovery is here, all that work being done in terms of what the future looks like, we could actually be uh, in perhaps a better place um, longer term. Finally, it's a really stressful time. And I know every member of the group is working really flat out. Would you share with listeners your top tips for switching off and managing your own mental health and resilience? Okay, it's, it is an incredibly stressful time for, you know, for so many people at the moment. And, you know, we all are thinking about those people on the front line, the health, social care workers. And, you know, we're, we're aware that, you know, there are people who've lost their jobs or having to transition to, to lower wages. You know, some people are working less, some people are working, um, you know, very long hours. And as you say, Sarah, you know, are working flat out. I, I guess I'm still learning how best to switch off, to be honest with you. Um, but for me, one of the most important things is to, you know, think about how can I take advantage of opportunities which I wouldn't normally have. Um, so that might be going out for a bike ride during the middle of the day with my children, or it might be making the effort to do something that perhaps I wouldn't normally make the effort to do. So, you know, for example, you know, as a family going out to see the recent supermoon. Oh, yeah, the supermoon has been pretty amazing. And I've got to say, I think we've done very well overall to get through uh, another podcast recording without children interfering. There's been a little <laughs> bit of background um, noise here. I'm aware of that. But um, I guess that's what happens when you're doing the homework in peace and uh, you're trying to manage everything. But listen, Rob, thank you for being a great guest, telling us all about the recovery element of the Northeast COVID-19 Economic Response Group's work. And I will make sure that um, people know how to get in touch with you if they'd like to know more in the show notes. 
So for more information on what we've talked about over the course of this week, please do visit the Northeast COVID-19 Economic Response Group page on the Northeast Local Enterprise Partnership website, and that's www.nelep.co.uk. And you can find more useful information via the Northeast Growth Hub website, which is www.northeastgrowthhub.co.uk. And again, I'll add that into the show notes too. But until next time, thank you, keep well, and please do stay home. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to My Friends in the North with Sarah Waddington. You can find Sarah on Twitter at Mrs underscore Wads or get involved with the podcast by emailing sarah at astute.work. See you next time.